This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Marcus Samuelson. Marcus is an anchor in his Harlem community and continues to be throughout this pandemic. Coming up, how Marcus has turned three of his restaurants into relief centers, what his community continues to teach him, why Red Rooster Harlem's like church, and details about a special family meal for Marcus's team. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Marcus. Marcus, hi. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I want to jump right in because you guys jumped right into this very early. You guys closed the Red Rooster in Harlem on March 15th. March 16th, you were already cooking uh, locally for the Bethel Pantry there in Harlem, and you've been an uh, integral part of feeding your community by thousands of meals um, every day. So can you tell me about ramping up that process and how you were able to start so fast? Well, it, it was very difficult, first of all, to let go, right? Is this actually happening? And going through that process, why is this happening? And what am I going to do with our business, our staff, our community, right? And once we, it took about a week to shut everything down, work through the logistics of that. And then at the same time saying, hey, we have these kitchens in these communities, what can we do? So I think one part of me was just like, okay, here's the logistics, um, you know, the, the one side and then the other side was, well, we are in the community, what can we do? Because as this pandemic shows, food insecurity, the poorest, the neediest, when something like this happened, it goes even deeper in a community like mine. Um, we were able to do it in Newark, Harlem, and Overtown in Miami. And it's really thanks to our partners and our incredible teams and World Central Kitchen with Jose Andres. Their team stepped up right away, told us, guided us through this process, how to do it. And so there was leaning on their team, working in partnership with their team and finding the staff in our crew that, could do it. I could go to work every day. Um, once we had those two things figured out, we just went into that rhythm of, hey, of course we're doing it. And that's actually what we've been doing for the last two weeks. I mean, you, you serve your community in a very regular way. You hire local in Harlem. You live in Harlem. You have uh, the Harlem Eat Up every year to raise money to feed people in Harlem. You work with City Meals, who regularly feeds 18,000 homebound residents in New York, and, th- and that number's increased tremendously now. How has the community turned to you? I- I've walked down the street with you in Harlem, and it's like walking yeah. down the street with the Pied Piper. I mean, the, the kids yeah. follow, the, the, the older people follow, the middle-aged people follow. So how has your community turned to you specifically as a leader right now? Well, I think that those experiences that you <laughs> mentioned, those are real, and each one informs me. Like, moving to Harlem informed me what type of red rooster what type of restaurant we would build. And it had to be in and of the community. Starting Harlem Eat Up taught me that food entrepreneurs in our community probably not ever going to own a restaurant. They might have be a street vendor or be in the park. So each one of these steps really informed me. It wasn't something that we did 
only for the public. It also informed me. These are my observations and my team's observations, right? So once the logistic of the business as one, I mean, I look at business really 360s. Yes, it's, it could be a business that is for profit, but you also have this responsibility of being in the, your community. So once, I think all of those, being in Harlem informed me, not leaving Harlem has informed me, and sometimes it's your business to serve and be extremely busy in one way. Now the community is calling on us to serve in this way. Look at this way we still have customers right it's just different type of customers but we still have customers that line i wish you could be there with me on the line you know the questions they have chef what are we getting what are we getting today oh yesterday i really liked last yesterday sandwich that is the same type of dialogue that you would have in a restaurant on a normal day I don't think there's a community that's more engaged with a chef as Harlem is with you specifically. Um, I know you feel a responsibility to take care of these people. Um, a friend of mine was actually doing some recording for World Central Kitchen on on some of the first days. You guys were all set up together in Harlem. Yeah. Um, and he's he was somebody who was used to seeing you as very, very up and gregarious. And he said he's sort of never seen you so... Um, shocked and upset. Um, I wonder what it's like to kind of go to work now and have to pull yourself out of those moods to serve. Well, he saw the, we all are in shock, all of us, right? And we go through these moods where sometimes we're selfish, sometimes we feel better, sometimes, you know, all the moods that we go through as human beings. and when you take the makeup off and you're really in a very, dealing in a very real situation, um, this is not a film, this is real. And uh, this moment also had good moments. Like today, um, Maya and I, we're cooking a vegan family meal for everybody, Ethiopian style. You know, I can't wait to walk into the staff with the staff with just, just to give a little bit of appreciation, right? Um, the silver lining for me has been, I've been able to teach my son how to bike. I mean, we're not there yet, but we, we, I spent much more time at home, right? So I try to also look at the positive because if I only look at the negative, which is easy to do, like some mornings I wake up and that's what I think through. But it's been amazing to look at my son and he's just smiling at me because he, he wants to bike more. How old, how old is Zion? Zion is three and a half. So he's, so, nice. so he's just a couple of months younger than your, your kid. But, you know, so, and I, I look forward to those moments because I can't just think about this very heavy adult world that we're all living in, right? That today specifically would be the deadliest day right that we've ever had that's that's real that's somebody aunties that's somebody father somebody son this is real and you know new york is the epicenter of the epicenter and i would say harlem is the smack in the middle of that so um it's tough it is a gift to have uh, the perspective of a child during these times mm-hmm. it's 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 almost it's almost surreal yeah yeah but you know this is the moment that 
I needed it to hold on to. And so many other families have other, you know, non-corona virus issues, right? And I'm grateful for those challenges. I'm grateful for those things because it is what we're holding us through. And I think that, you know, Harlem as a community is very resilient. You know, it's very strong. They've been through, Harlem has been through many things, crack epidemic, HIV, and what this epidemic, uh, pandemic really shows is that once again, our African-American male, the highest at risk, because it also shows that our healthcare system haven't taken care of the neediest. Now, we knew this already, um, but obviously this highlights that. Yeah, it's a very scary thing because you see it again and again whenever there's an outbreak. African American communities are 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 hit the hardest. Um, it's it's tragic. So it's not only Harlem you're working in right now. You guys have ramped up efforts um, in Miami and and Newark. Let's talk about Miami in a minute, but let's get to Newark now because I know you've been there too. You've been yeah. physically there. So tell me about yeah. what's happening there. The population you guys are serving. It's Marcus B and P, the restaurant. Yeah, well, Newark it's it, it's very different. Uh, the the mission is the same, but in every place is different. In in Newark, we cook all the food. Um, we also focused on first responders. So the pickup is very different. In Harlem, the, the, the core Harlem community comes, the media comes, they're waiting on the line six feet apart. You know, we have an interaction, they get the food. In Newark, we focus on nurses, we focus on first responders. So the pickup is we cook the food, but then the food gets picked up in basically uh, a delivery driver comes, picks it up, puts it in a van and goes to these places. So, you know, it is, it's different than what we do in Harlem, but it's equally needed. So for us, it's really about being there, period, just being there. And uh, that was the best way for us to serve in that community. And you have a partnership there with Audible and you're about to ramp things up in a serious way, correct? Yeah, no, Audible has been amazing. And Don was one of the first people to reach out. And Ron Molis, my partner, Ron Molis, People, large stakeholders in, in Newark said, what can we do? How can we fix, not fix the issue, but actually be part of the solution, right? Short term and then hopefully long term. So, you know, Audible has been major in this and so has other businesses in, in the community. And this will only work with humanitarian work and, and the, the, the borders between private and public has to come together, right? The private sector have to work with the, with the local governments and so on to, to get this done. Okay. Um, and in Miami, you're partnering um, amongst, other, um, amongst other groups with Food Rescue US, who's an amazing yes. organization in Miami led yes. by Alan Brown. And, and they yes. serve 250,000 meals a year to people. They rescue mm-hmm. 300,000 pounds of food from, from being wasted. Tell me about what's going on uh, down there at Overtown. Yeah, I mean, Overtown, we were a week away. Can you imagine? We are training. We're in the middle of opening the restaurant. And then this happened. And obviously, opening a restaurant can wait. That was our biggest priority then. But obviously, that is not a, wasn't, didn't become the priority. But to say to 90 people, 90 people like, hey, we're not going to be able to open fully. The, although they've been working and the restaurant's been open through trial periods, 
uh, it was devastating. But then it also quickly led into, okay, how can we serve? Because just as Harlem and Newark, Overtown is a, is a community need. And um, in Overtown, we serve the immediate community. That line reminds me more of the line in Harlem. That is the people that live in Overtown that comes or live in, in nearby community that now knows about and comes by. Chef Tristan does an amazing job. He cooks the food every morning. And just like as chefs, we want an audience. We, want, we care if that sandwich, if that uh, pasta of the day is good or not. So it's through the darkest time. I've never been prouder of the teams because these are not one team. These are several teams. And at Marcus Samson Group and the Red Rooster Farm uh, restaurants, we couldn't have done it without the teams. And this is probably one of the proudest time as a chef as well. It's a fascinating way for a restaurant to be introduced to a community. It's not like come in, relax, have a drink, have a good time. <laughs> it's like, we're really here for you right now, you know? Yeah, and, and, and the interesting thing is when you work, do this type of work, you can never choose when the work is going to be the way you want it, right? When you are in a community and you're of the community, you have to do the work. The work we thought was to open the restaurant and create those jobs. The work became creating less jobs, but serving 500 people a day. And if you look at it at a long term, 15 years, 20 years, it probably all will turn out the same. But this was how we got introduced to Miami. This is now our duty at Red Rooster Harlem. This is, became the most important thing for us in Newark. So when you're asked to do the work, just do it. And everything else will sort of figure itself out later. And we're gonna do it as long as we can. The day we can't do it anymore, then I know we, we, we went in and when it was needed. I actually think that these are the days in a way that these restaurants will always be remembered for. You know, in, in, in Overtown, the people there will never forget. In Red Rooster, in Harlem, the people will never forget whose doors were open and, and who had who had the food, you know? Yeah, well, we really hope so. And we, we just want, I mean, for me, it's really about healthy and health and safety for my staff and safety for our families and beyond. And I never, in working in a kitchen all these years, do you know it's dangerous work? Hot oil, knives. All of these things that we know we but to this level and I I was much younger, but I was also part of when, you know, chefs has always been early responders. I remember of course Sandy, but I definitely remember nine eleven. And just jump on a train or biking down to Tribeca to help out, cook, serve, whatever you wanted to do, whatever you could do. And that's kind of the energy that I've been taking, you know, waking up with every morning. So, okay, I've done this before. You've done this before. You can do it. When you first closed down the Red Rooster and made the decision on March 15th, you posted about it on your Instagram. One of the interesting things about your post, at the end, you asked the people in your community, how can we help? You literally mm. crowdsourced for, for yeah. solutions. What did people say? What did you take from that? And how did that affect um, your plan of action to move forward? I, I would answer that with saying, I've always asked the community in Harlem what Red Rooster should look like. I remember 
six months before we opened the restaurant, I asked, you know, my community, hey, should I do vintage plate or should I buy new plates? Everybody told me right away, vintage plates, right? And that's just a, you know, it's a lighter, smaller thing. But Rooster's experience is very much like uh, back and forth. It's almost like you're on a stage and then you call and respond to church or something like that, right? And so many of our solutions have come from the community pushing up on us and saying, hey, man, why don't you do this? So I always want to ask the Rooster tribe, the Rooster community for guidance. And, and people come with all, all types of suggestions. An early one was, what's going to happen to the elderly? Who's going to deliver the food for them? Right? So Robert Rice, one of our greeters, it's been amazing. The real heroes in this, Robert Rice, Jamie, our server, Anissa, uh, the team there. Because they live in the community, just like me, they, they see things in their neighborhoods that needs to be done. So Robert always takes 30 portions aside and hand delivers that after his shift with us. So it's been these moments where, uh, because we are super local, Everything doesn't happen on 125th and Lennox. It happens post we serving too. And Robert and Jamie and them have been very helpful in that. It's amazing to lead by listening. I think that's a really great example to set. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's what works. It's how we will get our information. It's how we will also get through this moment, not just as great sort of community members, but also for our soul, right? And I think that it, we, we're not, this is not AI, we're not robots, right? We all feeding, we need to feed our soul, we need to feed our family, we need to feel good about the work we're doing, and it's hard to hit all of those at the same time. You wrote a, an op-ed for CNN on March 23rd, and the first line was, this past week has been the toughest of my career. That's, that's several weeks already. Is, is that line a, a refrain? Does each week now seem like the toughest of your career? Or is it seeming to get more stable in a way for you? Well, I, I, I wouldn't say stable because still as a business, we have no clue what this means, right? We know what we're doing now. And that's one aspect. But for me, the toughest week was that week when Floyd was really sick and then Floyd passed away. Floyd Cardo's an amazing chef, an amazing friend, an amazing father. When he passed, when we knew when he was really sick and he passed, that, that was the bottom. And I think the unknown, what's coming after that, is also why there is so much fear on, on simple things. We'll... we'll Will Stein School reopen? Like you know, like you know, like every can I? Is it safe for me to go to the to Whole Foods today, or wherever I'm gonna go buy my groceries? Like everything was an unknown, and I I think as people we can share that, right? So it was great to be able to have a community to go to and share. But I don't think we're there. I think every week there's new challenges, and um, I I don't have all the answers. But I, I can tell you that amazing things have come out of this too. You know, we started to create a coalition, independent restaurant coalition, led by people like Dan Meyer and Tom Clicky and so on. We are, I'm like, why did it take us this to have 60 chefs and restaurateurs to work together 
to push Congress what's going to happen to small businesses. So that is a direct result out of this horrible, horrible, horrible event. And I'm like, duh, we should have had that before. Yeah, I think one of you needs to be in Congress. I think yeah. I think that yeah. actually, yeah. I mean, so many jobs are at stake. You know, I think the population's finally waking up to the fact that there's 11, 12, 13 million people working in, in restaurants at any given time. It's one of the biggest employers in the country. It is literally like saying all of Sweden and Finland or something like that, right? That's that population. That's what the 15 million population represents, right? Uh, that's how many people are working in restaurants. And when 80% of your workforce is out of a job and doesn't know what tomorrow looks like, you can't just say that, well, we're going to create, we're going to give some checks because for three, four months, this will hold over. Let's just say half comes back. Well, you still have 7 million people unemployed in one sector. And Think about what restaurant is, right? That's the heart and soul of a community. Next to the restaurant, there's a deli, there's a barbershop, there's a nail salon, there is a gym, there's all of these other things that create neighborhood. But when the restaurant closed shop, so will these other retail, so will that community that we dearly love, right? So I'm like, it's not just about restaurant. It's actually, we need to say, do we only want big boxes in our neighborhood or do we actually move to a neighborhood for these sort of, you know, more mom and pop style neighborhood. And if we want that, if that matters to us, we have to get over there. We have to fix it. Yeah. Tell me about the energy of working with World Central Kitchen and, and what you've absorbed from partnering with that organization. Well, they've been amazing. First of all, Jose has done this before and the whole organization has done this before. And it's when in a world of been so much unknown, to have another side like uh, Chef Tim that runs the food for the whole organization says, no, if I have one really bad situation like 9-11 to draw from, they have 15, 20. So their level of experience and, and in, a, in a, a horrific situation, staying calm and figure out how to push and pull and gather and gather teams across the nation has been amazing. So they, yeah, they're really been amazing to work with. And, and, but that's also what this is. This is about teamwork. It's about family. It's about working together. And I really hope that that energy, that Congress sees that, that this nonsense of how we treat each other uh, from a political point of view has to stop. Let's talk about food for just one second. Tell me about the Ethiopian family meal that you guys are cooking for your team later today. Oh, we started two days ago. We started with making injera, the sourdough pancake. Of course, making the injera. After that, we went into um, a chickpea. It's called shiro. It's a chickpea flour that almost comes like becomes like a porridge. Uh, super delicious. It's a nice dip. I'm making a salsa right now with uh, oven-dried tomatoes because it's not tomato season yet so i kind of needed to push on the sugar a little bit get the sweetness out uh putting in also cooking these collard greens i, I almost cooked them overnight like i i um cooked them between sort of like 10 and 12 30 last night turned it off let it sit outside and put them on six o'clock this morning again so they're really really slow break so just a little something and and it's just going to be fun to surprise the staff, you know? 
the smile on, on your face is just suddenly yeah. like the sunshine, man. It's like yeah, e- yeah, ear right? to ear. It's across my entire screen. That's good to see. Marcus, nice. <laughs> our show is called Takeaway Only. What is your big takeaway from living through these times as a leader in your community, as a, as a dad, as a husband, as a chef? I miss, I miss my community. I miss to argue with the chefs about what dishes we should put on special. I miss hugging our regulars. I miss, you know, you're in, you're chefs because you like people. You're a people person. I really, I miss the community of being engaged in all of that. Um, I probably didn't know how much I would miss it, but I really miss it. And I'm also at the same time grateful that my son and my wife and I are healthy and uh, we can argue about simple stuff about who cleans upstairs and who should clean downstairs. Who, who, who purels the groceries. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Marcus, thank you for being here. Thank you for, you, for your thank smile you. and your, your work and thank your time. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. It's been, I needed this session. So uh, thank you very much. And I'll see you in the hood, okay? Big hug, man. Take care. Bye, big hug. Bye. That was Marcus Samuelson. You can follow him on Instagram at Marcus Cooks. Coming up tomorrow, Julia Sullivan of Henrietta Red and the Party Line in Nashville. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beeples. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.